Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Three, a show about Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic and part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Gil Gross with Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy, and something felt a little bit different coming into Madrid. What is it? Well, for the first time since Roland Garros last year, it's been almost a year, Djokovic and Nadal are both in the field. What a concept. It has been far too long since that's happened and uh, excited to break down the draw. They're also both in the top half. Carlos Alcaraz is there as well. So it, it is a, a crowded space in that top half of the draw. But let's start with Nadal, okay? He starts the year, and he's coming off an injury layoff. And I know that, especially Joel and I, we're like, okay, let's temper our expectations. It seems like it's been a, a tough past six months for Rafa from an injury standpoint. And we know the rest. He goes undefeated all the way up until the Indian Wells final. Now he does it again on a much smaller scale, misses a little bit of time, has the, the cracked rib. What should the expectations be now, Amy? Right low, away, just Madrid. Low for a few reasons. Um, these are not. I mean, saying that this isn't his best clay is, you know, like saying that chocolate isn't my favorite ice cream. I still love it. Um, but, you know, there were some media reports from earlier today that he was having a little bit of pain on the practice court. This is Madrid that the clay conditions are a little bit faster and it's at altitude. So the ball bounces higher. Well, that's good for him because he hits with a lot of topspin, but anyone who hits topspin at him, he's going to have to torque that much more to spin the ball. If it's coming like this at him, he's got to spin it back and torque that, that rib um, even more. So with the high bounce, I, my expectations are basement for this for Nadal and I just hope that he gives himself an opportunity to heal and that he doesn't have to withdraw. Yeah, we, we, we reversed, but Joel, I'll, you go ahead first, but uh, Amy and I 360 here. Oh, really? Oh, you 360. Yeah, oh. because I'm, I, 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 want, I, want, I want you to go ahead. Yeah, I, I kind of see it that way, too. I think, look, Nadal hasn't played in a few months. And that's a really good point you make, Amy, about how, well, everybody's altitudated here. So Rafa's got to deal with his, he's got to take it as much as he can dish it out. And uh, yeah, I think the most important thing for Nadal, stay healthy, stay healthy for, you know, he's going to play two tournaments between now and Roland Garros. And I hope, I mean, look, he's won, he's won this tournament four times on clay. Once he won it when it was indoors another time. So, but I just hope he stays healthy enough and nothing. I mean, that's a serious injury. That's not just one of your strains or sprains. So I'm kind of crossing my fingers and hoping he's going to stay okay. Gil? He hasn't missed that much time though. So I'm just, I'm looking at it as a, a period of time that's very palatable. 
And I, I expect him to hit the ground running. Now, the point about Madrid being a more difficult tournament for him conditions-wise, fully agree, very you know impossible to argue with. Uh, he has taken some, some losses in recent years, two quarterfinal losses in the last three years, another in the semi. So it's been a second since he's been in a final. I think he sometimes just has trouble controlling the ball and the altitude. And uh, this is a server's tournament. That you know, big servers do great here because of how thin the air is, and you know, Nadal just doesn't really have the advantage or the the tool in the big first serve to take advantage of what the conditions are offering. Look at last year's finalists, Verev and Mer- Berrettini. They have that. Uh, so, so in terms of Madrid not being ideal, I'm I'm fully agree with that. But I don't know. He's only been he's only been out for, for a month and it feels like for Nadal, that's nothing. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was going to be, I was surprised to hear that he entered this tournament. I thought it was going to be may, maybe Rome. And then I was even wondering what it was going to be, but I guess, wow, this time flies pretty fast. It was just barely what, six weeks ago he was in the desert. Right. Right. Not, not that, you know, I am a doctor by any means, but I know that you can get a stress fracture in your foot from just running, you know, from just the repeated and, and a, a, a minor fracture that isn't like from blunt trauma, like he wasn't in a car accident or nothing hit him or anything like that. It's one of those things that I feel like it has to fully heal and you have to go out and test it to see if it has healed. And so maybe that was his thinking, like, this will be my test. I'll get in some reps. I'll get in some competition. It's in my home country. I'll fulfill my sponsor obligations. I'll see the fans and sign my autographs. And, you know, if it, if it doesn't work out, then I can rest up and get ready for Rome. Oh, and by the way, when you talk about the thing about the basement, it's like precisely the part in the building Rafa enjoys occupying. I mean, you can only imagine his his pre-tournament, post-match, pre-match comments. I mean, he, he he sets the bar there when he's in the best of health. So now he's in this whole other thing from a cracked rib. I mean, this isn't even like the foot. This and so he's you know he's going to be happy to just win a point. You know what I mean? And and no matter who he plays and no matter what the opponent may challenge, and it will be a challenge, of course. But uh, it's just kind of it, I I I hope he most of all stays healthy because that's what we really want to most see is these guys have a fair shot to compete. I think he will. And, you know, I, I just don't know if I, I appreciate the fact that he wants to play in Spain. He had to miss Barcelona a tournament. He always likes to play, but if he wasn't fully there, there would be no reason for him to play Madrid really, or if there was any risk. Um, so, you know, I, I'm just thinking that, he's probably physically in a pretty good space. I was surprised though. I will say that when he got back on court and said, okay, I'm hitting for the first time. It wasn't that long ago. Right. No, I, I I was like, are you sure? Is this, (laughs) is this true? And then we got the report from uncle Tony that uh, he would play Madrid and Gil and I were skeptical of that because if he had just been out on court for the first time, but like you said, Gil, he really only missed a month. You know, it'd be neat to talk to. It'd be interesting to talk to a doctor and have him show an x-ray that shows the extent of this injury. And then you do like a time-lapse that says, this is how mortals age 30, 40, 50, 60 recover from this. And you see, and it takes, 
this long over this many weeks. This is what it's like if you're a world-class athlete or how that works. Because obviously the whole aspect of how these guys recover from these injuries. I mean, I'm thinking last year of how Taylor Fritz had knee surgery after the French and played Wimbledon, right? And of course, it's right. also there's these technologies and the extent, I guess, I guess you'd have to know the extent. Well, Nadal, he had a cracked rib, right? Right. So bone, you know, if you're a world-class athlete, bone heals faster. I mean, right. I don't know. I don't know either. Right. We're, yeah. We're a bunch, we're a bunch of, uh, you know, communication. <laughs> well, hey, I, we can say this with confidence. The diligence in rehabilitation is something that. That's true. Uh, an ordinary citizen, uh, a non-athlete is not going to be able to match, right? These athletes wake up every day and this is their, this That's is their true. job. So job is called now get better. So you're going to do your stretches and you're going to have someone to put you through them and you the equipment. That's a great point. Yeah. Like I, I had bad knee, knee injuries and I was, I was bad. I was terrible about rehabbing. Uh, I tried my best, but it just wasn't what I, what it could have been. So, and I think a lot of people are probably in the same boat as me. Uh, just, you know, it, it's hard to focus every day on rehab. Right. So, uh, in the draw, it will be the winner of Ketsmanovic and Bublik. We've talked a little bit about Ketsmanovic this year. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joel, uh, what do you think of that as a first match back for Nadal? That's a rough four. That's a really good player. Ekmanovic. I mean, right. he's, he's really, I mean, I'm very impressed when I watch him play. I find him physical and, and uh, powerful. I noticed, though, a lot of these players are playing even better since I got an HDTV. Um, it's really <laughs> um, very impressive to see. Um, I mean, he's good. I mean, and he, so then it's a question of, it's like, if he just, doesn't think he's playing the down. He's just playing this ball, but that's, it's a tough match. I, I think I, I don't like to predict, you know, but I think he'll beat blue black. I do too. Okay, good. Good. Gil, Gil's the clay expert. Yeah. Too. Uh, and, and the clay expert knows that Bublik has some ability to do well on clay, but uh, doesn't seem to want to commit himself to competing on the surface because he doesn't enjoy it. Well, there are these series of players just like Bublak, Benoit Pair, Kyrgios, guys who like don't, I mean, they're different styles, but it's like, I'm going to play when I want to play and let's see how it kind of goes. And some night, and it's kind of different. It's so different than the Rafa mentality. Yeah. But Bublik retired against Pablo Carreño Busta in the last match. I mean, I, I still don't know why he retired. He just walked off the court. He said afterwards, he just doesn't like playing on clay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I just don't want to. I just, yeah. And then you've got a guy like, I mean, you talk about suffering Karina Busta. I mean, the guy's going to be playing another 17 years. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I just looked up Nadal's head to head against Ketsmanovic, and he's one and zero. Beat him. I mean, this was like eons ago in the Mexican Open in tw- February of 2020. So that was like Ketsmanovic has grown so much as a player since then. And um, it's a tough one if that ends up being the matchup for Rafa. But I mean, look at look at his half of the draw. I mean, it's kind of a nightmare and it's really a nightmare for anyone else that's in that because of uh, Alcaraz and Djokovic also being in that half. Yeah, Ketsmanovic at his best with how solid his backhand is, how comfortable he is taking the ball early, and the fact that he's just clearly a top 20 player at this moment in time, even though his ranking doesn't say that. Uh, That's tough. I mean, now he could be tired because he's still in Munich. He has made quarterfinal or better uh, in like each of his last five events. So it has been a lot of tennis. Um, So, you know, maybe... Maybe Nadal can get a a lesser version of Ketsmanovic. We will see. As for Novak Djokovic, uh, we covered him in in Monte Carlo and Belgrade, and we all feel like things are kind of on schedule, on track for Novak in this clay season, despite the fact that he, he hasn't been great. So, Joel, what does Novak need to show, or what do you think he wants to show this week? I think this week he wouldn't mind winning this title for the fourth time. I mean, he'd like to do that he was in the final at the home tournament he fought through some matches had a frustrating closing to that final bagels in the third set but uh i think it's time for all right now we gotta kind of start kicking something into gear we did win roland garros last year didn't we and now it's time to show the world what number one really looks like and with it being a faster surface, uh, one would think that he could make some headway here. The, I think, Gil, correct me if I'm wrong, the guy, if it goes to chalk, that would be the highest seed in his quarter would be Casper Rude. Correct. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Rude is your, your stereotypical clay court player, and this isn't like other clay and i i think i looked up rude's record in madrid and he he may have a a couple quarterfinals or maybe a semifinal in he has there a, somewhere. He, yeah he does have a semi he does okay um but you know he he hasn't won the thing and when he comes up against a big server like uh, a zverev or something like that then this madrid isn't ideal for him so um rude can be had if that's if that ends up being the the situation but then just looking ahead in the draw at Alcaraz that's obviously a matchup that we would all love to see we want to see Alcaraz at this stage let's see him play anyone anywhere to see how he just continues to show how great he is how great he could be I mean this guy's won uh, three tournaments on three continents this year wow that's that's (laughs) so yeah and a chance to see him yet again play a three i mean the dow match in indian wells is one of the best matches of the year and now we now we obviously want to see him play novak that's just fantastic let's go to the the immediate first uh, opponent though uh so wild card from spain uh carlos jimeno valero i i haven't heard of him um and he plays gail monfils are are we in the same boat i mean i i'm confident in saying you know there's not that many players who I haven't seen. I just haven't seen that uh, the Spanish wild card yet. No, I've not seen him play. So then it's going to question of where things are at with Montfils, and mm-hmm. we see. 
there oh, was a big Mont Monfils. I'm I'm just remembering. That's like, what is it? A sixteen and 0, 18 and zero for Djokovic. It's a ridiculous. Oh no, head to head a zillion times, and and so right, some good tennis. You know, Monfils puts up pretty good battle. I think they had a very close Paris indoor final one year. I think a third set tiebreaker, and uh, um, but that was a long time ago. I think Monfils just wanted to be part of Novak on the only person he wants to play less. On clay, then Novak would be Rafa. Exactly. There was there was a controversy surrounding the wild cards for this tournament. Yes. You know, Andy Murray got one, and and people were saying. I think Fernando Verdasco said that these should really go to predominantly Spanish players. So if if that guy that you mentioned got a wild card, Gil, he must be pretty good. I guess because because Verdasco didn't get one, and and that's something that's unfortunate. And wow. I am, IMG bought the tournament, and uh, that means IMG wants you know is going to get to give its clients wild cards because that's how wild cards work. It's uh, I liked what you said on Twitter, Amy. They are wild. They are not <laughs> intended to be fair, and you know, uh, they kind of are what you are. The more you kind of try to litigate them, the more frustrated you're going to get or yeah. they could be fair some of them could be fair some of them may be because of a friend relationship some of them may be a sponsor thing um you know there are any number of reasons and and i do think that that is legit because i've i've known people that have benefited from a relationship um you know just somebody babysat for somebody and and this that my parent knew the tournament director and whatever and they got an opportunity that was life-changing or or unforgettable so i'm actually okay with it um and i thought andy murray had a good point when he said well i was perfectly willing to play qualifiers for this but i was offered a wild card what am i supposed to do say no yeah exactly <laughs> they're wild cards i mean you just you, they're not they're not meant to be um sometimes they are for loyal service but other times i i um promising young player iconic older player and some players some veteran players they're neither of either they weren't number one in the world and they're not 17 years old so what and but sometimes depending on what's available and wild cards into these uh masters 1000 that's a real premium i mean wild cards for 250s all right who, who wants a wild card <laughs> it's a, I mean, right. Right. So, and in, in this case, uh, Carlos Jimeno Valero is world number 369. Um, how old is he? He was born in 2001. Is, so I suppose he's 21. Okay. 21 or 20 or 20. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, actually Novak beat him earlier this month. Dennis Novak. <laughs> I was like, you got me, Gil. I was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. I slept through you that. No, that's match. right. Fun with wild cards. Like, what is this like? The new is this like the wordle of the new the new wild card? You name that wild. I can name that wild card in three losses. Um, all right. Well, uh, yeah, I I agree with what what you said, Joel, in the beginning, that it would be, uh, it's time for Djokovic to start actually kind of, uh, looking more like his best self at, at this point. Now he's had a couple of weeks to kind of rev things up and, and, uh, 
get into his best form. In a bit of a downer news, Boris Becker today sentenced uh, two and a half years in in uh, jail or prison uh, for basically covering up assets after he declared for bank- bankruptcy. Joel, uh, this is very uh, jarring news for a seven-time major champion uh, and uh, a really tough turn of events. It is really tough. And Boris Becker has had a real up and down time of it uh, since his playing days ended. All the different things with uh, families and marriage and, uh, and money and even physical things. And it's, it's sad to see it come to that for him at this stage. So I hope he's able to find his way through it. And again, we're talking about it with, with Novak. I mean, they, they had a, they had a good, good track record together. I, I gave him an extra slam. I said seven, he's won six. Yeah, okay. Boris won six, that's right. And I think that there was a, the record consecutive most Grand Slam matches won, something like that. Uh, they had an, a hugely successful partnership. And I know that after they parted, that's when Boris started to get into some of his financial troubles and Novak made a statement at the time that you know he he felt bad for him and and wanted to do whatever he could to help but things took a turn for the worse when I guess Becker didn't have that structure in his life and um, it's really sad for me because he was the guy that kind of introduced me to tennis when I was a little girl I saw him win Wimbledon and I was completely captivated. I thought it was really cool how he was diving all over the grass and he had this boom, boom Becker nickname and, and I made me really want to pick up the racket. So um, I'm super sad. I hope that, that he does his time and that, you know, like it is here in the United States, if you're um, a good, you know, citizen, behind bars that that they'll commute your sentence or they'll they'll shorten it and that he can get out and get his life together shall we uh move on to fetter we have news he has uh and i think this came from the tournament uh he is scheduled for basel so that appears to be the target comeback for roger fetter what to make of that amy now he it, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but he didn't say that he would not be coming back before then, or did he? Did he say like that will be my first one, or did he say did he leave open the door that he might come back even sooner? I don't. I am not. No, see, I I don't. Because the thing is, right? I, I, my interpretation is Roger didn't say anything. I feel like Swiss, the Swiss indoors were like, Federer's coming. Oh, oh, right, right. That's, so, right? so he could come back sooner. That was my point. It's that's, possible. that's a good point. That's a yeah. good point. Back sooner. Yeah. That he, when I read the news, that was the first thing that came to me. Like, okay. Um, he stated a while ago that he wasn't going to, like, Wimbledon was kind of doubtful, right? And there's something about the US Open, right? Was that a while ago? Is that what we're hearing? Yeah, but that wasn't out of his mouth. That was like Lubacic or somebody else. But let me let me just say that he's been more active on social media. 
Um, he has been promoting his work that he does in Malawi uh, through the his foundation, uh, educational for for children. And um, he's been, you know, posting his workouts and, and things like that. And I, I have alerts, I follow his social media very closely. And he was so quiet for many, many months. And now all of a sudden, you know, Roger Federer tweeted Roger Federer on Instagram. So I get the feeling that um, he's probably turned the corner and that we'll be seeing more of his workout videos and we'll be able to really understand um, where he's at with his movement and uh, his, his strokes. From tweets? Well, look, I'm talking, you're, you're like the, you know, I remember there's a last year. You, yeah. Yeah, you're the pruder of tweets. You saw this, <laughs> you see this one tweet, there's like Roger, yeah, I didn't like how he, he didn't seem to like how he hit that backhand. And I'm thinking, oh God, there's a million backhands, but sure enough, it's true. He withdrew. He withdrew. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm out of here. I tweeted out of here. So, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll 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 be seeing more of these little vignettes from them. It'll be interesting to see how he communicates. Yeah, I, you're so right, Amy, about him being quiet. I feel that his absence and at times Nadal's absences have really put into light actually how important the press conference is. Uh, after, you know, you know, in the post Naomi Osaka French Open debacle uh, era, because I mean, so much has happened in tennis. We literally never hear from Federer on on any of this. Right. And, you know, we're going to I mean, Nadal, I, I could tell you right now. After his first round match, there's probably going to be a news cycle for whatever Nadal says on the Wimbledon ban. And that's how these things work, you know, but but we begin to realize how reliant we are on these press conferences that are directly tied to matches. It's been so interesting to see that. It's the one chance that we know is guaranteed that we can ask them a question, be it about in these world politics things or their injuries or what's going on in their life or their plans for, for the short term, what tournaments. I mean, it's like guaranteed. I'm gonna see this person in person face-to-face -face and I can ask them the question. Um, so yeah, even though that it's called, you know, a clown show, a circus, kabuki theater, Spider-Man, all that, um, <laughs> it, it, it is needed. I mean, it is really needed. And I want the fans to understand that and appreciate that there's a job to do. And um, we do need this time face-to-face -face with the players. Well, it's the last, it's the last pinky hold of that kind of connection. I was talking for another story I'm doing. I've, I've talked with some uh, for, from guys who worked for newspapers in the, in the 80s and 90s and were covering lots of sports, including tennis. And you see the way in tennis that was always difficult compared to other sports in America when it came to, I mean, you know, Amy, you covered other sports like baseball and football and basketball. And it's really interesting how it is and how much athletes are in charge of their messages and how they say things or cannot say things and and lots of things going on and press conferences they're not ideal i mean i don't love them either but they pretty much what we got and so to learn these things and to hear what they say and uh you're right and roger look i'm sure i'm sure he's made a strategic policy around all these kind of things not whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the ban or any of that stuff 
Yeah. I, I saw today, by the way, that teammate and, and Tony Godsick uh, is considering purchasing Cincinnati as well. I just want to throw it out, that out there. I haven't read anything further than that, uh, but that is happening. So I, I have to chuckle at that. I mean, is Roger, is he involved? Is he a principal and teammate still? He's their biggest client. He's their biggest client for sure, but I, I didn't know if he was a part. Roger, like if I went to a labor cup uh, or I've been to a couple of labor cups and they are champagne, first class, high end Rolex affairs. Cincinnati is like dough dipped fried donut hey you know? hey, <laughs> hey don't yeah don't don't it's great i love it you know me i love the pretzel but um it's americana like it's the heartland and, yeah, and they embrace that and it's a real competition i mean i know yeah. labor cup is a competition but <clears throat> i mean cincinnati is 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 a, its own version of a i mean because it's close to a slam it's never been called a, a near slam but it's some great tennis, some important tennis, some high stakes tennis, and a great event and a great community that comes out to watch it. Um, yes. So, so, so to own it, what, like, uh, okay, so you're saying it's going to be more, uh, more pretzels than caviar. Is what well, I, I hope, I, what, what I want to say with all this, please hear me on this. I hope it keeps its identity. I would not want it to become a champagne and caviar event. That's impossible. It couldn't, I mean, look at the people, you know, there are people, it was, it was called once, I won't bore with the details, but it was called the ATP Championships. And, and um, there was something, a way the ATP decided to make an event a certain significance. It was called the, there are people in Cincinnati, and it stopped, it had a, got a sponsor something in the 80s. There are people in Cincinnati who still call it the ATP. I mean, so hmm. it's like it has its, and it's a deep, I mean, I wrote a story a couple of years ago about the whole Cincinnati tennis community and it's weaving. No, I think it's a neat way of, teammate and i don't know what roger's equity or what his role in that is but of broadening what it wants to be i mean like like you know tony godsick works at img and img doesn't just manage players manage events and look for mm -hmm. revenue streams and all that good point we shall see uh that that right now of course just early buzz nothing nothing official what is official is uh nadal and Djokovic. In Madrid, looking forward to seeing what they can bring to the table in the same draw together for the first time since Roland Garros. We are available on all podcast platforms. We greatly appreciate it. If you leave a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify, and if you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, and subscribe. We will see you next time on the next episode of 3.